0: I want to take you to dinner at Taco
1: Bell. Whoever you were talking to didn't know how to use the three shells. How embarrassing. So welcome to Montreal sauce. This is the show where we talk to makers and creators about why they get up in the morning and not how they pay the bills. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm not a scroll, And uh, won't you please pay my bills for me? Um, my friend, fellow host, and possible flirkin who has a pocket universe in his stomach is Paul. Hi, Paul.
2: Hi. I don't understand those references. Is it from uh, you know, the new captain? the, the new captain yeah. we're supposed to be excited about. Okay, great. Yeah, the
1: the new captain. That's right. I, I like this. The the new captain.
2: Oh, captain, my captain.
1: <laughs> it's a Dead Poet Society remix. I love it. <laughs> um, it's a. Uh, it's 2019. I think this is season six, Tex- not te- technology. That's kind of like Texas and technology together. Uh, <laughs> technology is changing so quickly that we uh, no longer need to depend on the giants like Google and Facebook to host our data. At least that's my opinion. Um, our guest this episode is the editor of We Distribute, a site covering decentralization, free software, and more. For a time he was involved in Diaspora, a distributed social network that launched, I think, in 2010 as an alternative to Facebook and Twitter. And currently he's the human behind video commons or no vidcommons.org, a peer yeah. peer oh, instance. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Vidcommons, a Peertube instance featuring Creative Commons and public domain videos. Uh, he sometimes writes poetry, he video blogs, he stole my million dollar pickle video idea. Please welcome Sean Tilly. Hey,
0: it's good to be here. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah I, I like when we do the big buildup and then you're like, um, hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Sean, give our listeners, my mom, an explanation of what decentralization is.
0: Yeah. So I actually have a prepared statement. Um, so, I guess a good way to start off with this is to kind of understand the history of the internet. So the internet was like this really crazy thing in terms of its development and the amount of people that latched onto it. It was sort of like this sort of free-flowing system of information where people around the world could suddenly connect and find things and connect to each other. And it was like very much like the Wild West. It was very sort of anarchist in the beginning in the sense that You know, you look at GeoCities, for example, people just, like, made web pages about random stuff. They made web pages about lists and pictures of cats. And, uh, you know, not much has changed since then. But I think, like, one fundamental difference is that the way the Internet operates today is different than what it used to be. So I think, like, when we look at the sort of primordial beginnings of the Internet, we can think about uh, a couple of things. We can think about IRC chat. We can think about uh, Usenet mailing lists. And my favorite, of course, would be uh, bulletin board systems or BBSs. Uh, Actually, I just uh, picked up a great documentary about this that happens to be Creative Commons. Um, It's called BBS, the documentary. I really recommend watching it. But my point is that In the earlier stages of the internet, in the early 90s, you know, there are many pockets of uh, a widespread communication network that was run entirely by volunteers. You know, anybody with the money and the resources and the time could just set up their own little thing and they could communicate out to other people and other people would be drawn to that. That would be like their little form of community. You know, you could think of that as a a building, as a church, you know, it's something that exists for people to come to and meet each other and connect. So bulletin board systems hit this really interesting milestone in the early 90s where this thing called FidoNet was created. And FidoNet made it so that different, unique, individual bulletin boards could connect to each other and people could send messages from one system to another. Uh, It sounds very much like email, and in a lot of ways it's kind of a precursor to a lot of things that are happening uh, in the Fediverse, uh, and the Federated Social Web right now, is that all these people could suddenly connect together, and there were a lot of new use cases that came out of it that people hadn't seen before. Uh, you know, people could report on breaking news uh, before it had been fully reported by uh, different news institutions. Uh, people could act as a bridge between multiple countries, which at the time was an entirely new thing. Uh, you know, people, the soldiers serving in Iraq, for example during Desert Storm, the original one, could suddenly reach their families back in the U.S. through this bulletin board system that's entirely ad hoc, entirely volunteer run. And this is like an amazing uh, achievement for the time. And so as the Internet has continued to grow and change, a really remarkable thing that's happened is that a lot of those things have kind of died on the vine. A lot of these things have become uh, walled gardens where the same kind of interactions fundamentally happen but the nature of the walled garden is that you can't communicate outside of the approved network. Um, a really good example of this that I think kind of explains the concept more in general is that during the great migration from MySpace to Facebook, there was a rather remarkable moment where everybody's list of friends was kind of split between two different services. So they you know, half your friends would be moving on to Facebook and deleting their MySpace accounts. The other half were like, no, we're going to stay here. So like, An interesting thing that happens is you sort of realize these two groups of people can no longer communicate. And the only reason that's actually happening is that it just goes against the interest of those individual networks. They say, like, actually, you know, we make more capital by concentrating all of our people in one place. So this is a model that's largely dominated how the Internet works and operates today, especially from the the standpoint of profit. Uh, Facebook and other kinds of entities like it. Uh, They get a lot of money and a lot of revenue not just from advertising and selling your data But also keeping your attention span focused within their domain so that you're less likely to navigate away from it So it has all these like interesting sort of peripheral effects on how an individual person uh, Uses the internet nowadays and I think as an element of surveillance capitalism uh, a lot of people's private information and a lot of things that pertain to an individual's users experience of the internet Uh, ends up either getting sold as a package for data for advertising firms or it becomes sort of a backdoor to spy on people's lives. And so to draw into conclusion, like the whole thing about decentralizing the Internet, again, is not necessarily creating a new state for the Internet to be in. It's rather a return to form where we can have the old Internet that was great, that connected people, that allowed people to build new things and hook things together and have a great experience. It's also about doing that in a way that feels coherent and modern
1: yeah. yeah 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 that's a lot to unpack but i really like you know i never thought because i, I lived through those days uh back in my day um we <laughs> yeah. we we would back in my day we we'd download like a a two megabyte uh two megabyte file over a 1200 baud modem from a bbs and your mom would pick up the phone (laughs) and you were boned because it took four hours to download two megabytes Uh so (laughs) hey
0: someone's got to order pizza
1: yeah but it it, uh it's also like one of those things like uh, uh i make jokes about old man voice there but uh it's also one of those things where it was new to me at the time but you had to have I guess, a higher level of knowledge even to get to the bulletin board. I'm not trying to right. be a Linux snob, but you had to have a higher level of knowledge. So then you also didn't take it for granted. I guess this is where I'm feeling like an old person. <laughs> like,
0: no, no, I, I totally agree on that point. And I think like for me, like a very early experience of the Internet that I had become a part of that was hugely formative was uh, joining forums you know being part uh, parts of like you know uh, web bulletin boards that were you know easier to navigate and easier to use for that generation and that was like kind of where I found my first sense of community was you know amongst other creators, mainly people trying to make adventure games. So like you know it, it's interesting to think that like in some ways the fidelity of the internet, the ease of use for a lot of things has climbed up dramatically. And I, I think like part of my goal and part of my mission with all the stuff I'm doing is to try to direct things in such a way that we can focus on efforts where you can have an easy-to-use internet that also gives you all your rights and doesn't try to package up little bits of yourself and sell it.
1: And I also got stuck on your, uh, your terminology, the great migration from MySpace to Facebook, because now Paul has mentioned several times about making small animations of clips of our shows, and now I just want to, you know, <laughs> put like poor Tom Tom from MySpace uh, like in like a European like uh, leader king (laughs) role and everyone's migrating to the U.S. for freedom yeah
0: Um, (laughs) now I was like picturing like a cattle drive with like lots of downtrodden frustrated people walking across the Great Plains
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes right (laughs) um I love that you said like community a bunch of times because I I really think that That's what, in my opinion, um, that's what we're experiencing like with like Twitter and Facebook. And um, as you said, like the great term surveillance capitalism, um, they make their money from ads and from keeping you on their platform. And so there are those in the market who would say like, we're capitalists. This is how this works. And sorry that it works this way, but that's, you know, how we make our money. And we lose a sense of community, I think, when it gets that big. And like YouTube, for example, is like promoting these like hateful videos and, you know, promoting like really questionable videos (laughs) at times with their algorithms because they want you to stay on their platform. And so we're losing that sort of sense of community, like I'm participating here. And so I'm, you know, curating, or I'm because it's such a big world, I guess, in some of these platforms.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And it's interesting to see, like, I think no matter where you go in a closed system or an open one, like you end up with little micro communities inside of it, you know, there are like people that just troll Facebook groups all all day. And when I say troll, I don't mean like aggressively. I mean, like, are there are other people that just like share memes and Facebook groups and Facebook pages, and that's like a whole community in itself. Right. So it's interesting to see how that plays out in different places. Uh, Reddit, for example, has extremely obscure niche subreddits that like are not even necessarily grounded in reality and do it to be quite silly. Like uh, Fifth World Problems is a great one where they, <laughs> they say things like, I'm literally beside myself and I can't get I can't pull myself back together. What should I do? Where it pretends to be like an advice column but puts like increasingly surreal memes in it.
1: <laughs> I was just introduced in into in that uh Reddit group when I uh was stalking you, uh, researching you as a guest. So <laughs> <laughs> Um so do you do you kind of like agree with what I Uh, said uh, I mumbled through in the beginning that like things are sort of getting a little bit easier to do yourself?
0: I think so but it's also hard for me in the sense that like I'm a person that immerses himself in Linux and running servers and provisioning applications like it's hard for me to be 100% objective about that because it's like well it's easy for me but like I don't necessarily know if someone starting new today would be able to do it necessarily I think there's still There's still certain barriers and a lot of like user communities and open source projects will sometimes talk about this where you have to have a certain technical understanding to either run the product yourself or you need a certain technical uh, ability to like affect its direction of development. You know, somebody can open up an issue and say like, I don't like the way this thing works, but like if they don't have the means to uh, to make developments and changes to those things. Uh, it's less likely that things are going to necessarily flow in the direction they would like to see it.
1: Yeah, I I think for me, like um, my knowledge is limited. And um, for me, it kind of goes back to community and trust. And so, you know, Paul uh, knows about a website stuff more than I do. He knows about audio probably more than I do. And so I concentrate on getting guests like you while he does that. we trust each other. I'm not giving out his Skype address just to anyone and he's not secretly <laughs> selling my data right like so it it's there's there's that that sort of like kind of community aspect um so I don't think that everybody that's listening like my mom should be able to like run her own mastodon server or anything but right. um, but i I am kind of curious like you and paul like if you think things are getting easier because i notice just in my limited experience of fooling around with things like yeah. sure it looks like i can run some server software pr- software pretty easy all i have to do is install docker and a few other things but now there's more cooks in the kitchen as they say now if docker's not right. working my website's not working right yeah
0: no, it's definitely tricky, and you know, to your point, I think like it's totally legitimate that people join, uh, for lack of a better term, community instances where somebody has said, you know, I will take the sunk the sunk cost of running this particular node, and you all can get on for free, and we will agree that I will not monetize your data or do anything that would be harmful, and I we will s- spell out this agreement uh, when you sign up. Like I think those are perfectly legitimate things, but I also think like. To some degree, it's also kind of like a gateway drug. You know, you get into that, you start to use (laughs) it, you become a part of a thing, and eventually you say, I kind of want to run my own. Um, Maybe other people are different than me, but, you know, I've set up, like, many, many subdomains on my website just to start playing with random things that I like, because I'd rather not just be on a big server.
1: Yeah, I've I've actually done the opposite of you very recently, because I was uh, (laughs) sort of... I was running my own uh, next Cloud, and just looking at the price I was paying versus like some of these um, companies that have cropped up just to host next clouds. I'm like, I think I'm going to pay $4 and 53 cents a month to some German company to host my next
2: Cloud and never have to worry about updates or do anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is really nice.
2: That I mean, that's yeah. the other side of it where it is getting easier on some level is um, there are, there are other companies out there that are, I think, more trustworthy and have more open policies about, you know, this is what we do to safeguard your data. This is how we encrypt it. And you can host your next cloud instance or whatever that thing is with us. We know how to, we, you know, we've we've turned it into a couple of clicks. So you can set it up. It's your instance. It's not our data. And if you want it, you know, you can, we it will send it to you. Uh, we don't, you know. It's not about selling that for us because you are our customer. Um, Our customer isn't, you know, some credit card company that wants to sell you on, you know, their latest interest rates. It's not some retailer that wants to know what things you're interested in so that they can market to you better. You are the customer and we're going to sell that to you.
0: Well, and it's an interesting inversion of like a lot of relationships uh, that like, I hate, I sort of gotten tired of this sort of meme, but The idea that if you're not paying for something, you are the product is like something that very much dominates a lot of free services on the web. And so to see an inversion of that where you just pay a small amount of money and you get what you want out of it is actually incredibly gratifying to see in contrast.
1: I will now dub this the kombucha model. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Everybody in the world makes their own kombucha and brings it to a market to sell on the weekend but you don't see coca-cola doing that do you and no one would trust their kombucha if they did
0: <laughs> and really what is kombucha but it's just some weird mold thing that grows at the bottom of the jar
1: <laughs> uh i guess i don't know i'm i'm too old to enjoy kombucha i think <laughs> yeah uh, i don't
0: like it either <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: it's um. Yeah, I find it an interesting thing because I I feel like at the same time that the centralized sort of larger companies that are trying to get their market share are edging in, they're also sort of, and maybe that's just my perspective, but it seems like they dumb things down, right? So that it does seem like a very large leap from me to, like, as a person who doesn't know anything, to just simply sign up for Dropbox than it does to sign up for even a service that hosts Nextcloud because you know, there might not be necessarily the documentation or whatever because it is more of a volunteer-run project or not as huge and has a lot of money as Dropbox. It's interesting. Do you feel that yeah. way, too, that, that sometimes, like, things are, like, dumbed down for users?
0: Well, it's interesting that you put it like that. I, I think it's an interesting challenge between self-hosting versus using a cloud service where you kind of have to ask the question, like, how much control are you willing to uh, either hold on to or, or, or let go of in exchange for uh, convenience? And how much of a – control do you want to have over your experience you know for example yeah you could absolutely use a hosted instance of NextCloud that a company is using and that's a totally legitimate thing but what if you're a plugin developer that wants to develop a unique plugin for your instance like if you're hosted it might be a little bit more complicated getting your bespoke plugin into your next cloud instance because you don't really have access to certain parts of it uh, depending absolutely. on the cloud service yep
1: yeah that's that's very true and and, um, and it's, it's interesting, too. I think we've talked about it on the show a while ago. Like um, one of the reasons that I left WordPress um, is that I didn't know enough of it. I knew enough to get myself in trouble. I do enough to customize themes and to make changes. But I was dependent on said plugins to do a number of other things. And <laughs> each of those plugins had their own CSS they had yeah. a callback to google or facebook and so it's like when i would go to websites that test your website it was like my website is loading like 50 things before it actually gets to my webs my content yep. Yep. yeah yeah and-
0: yeah i'm i'm in that hell right now just trying to run redistribute cuz i'm like oh well i'll just put it on wordpress you know there's a plugin to make it talk to the fediverse that should be easy and then I'm like you know, in the weeds trying to develop stuff and I'm like, hmm, how do I solve this one problem? And you get like 20 articles from like random, random websites that are like, oh, well, <laughs> you should use these eight plugins. Right, right. And it's like you don't really get actual advice as to how things work beyond like some
2: vague, tiny stub of a document.
0: You're like, well, th- this is really frustrating and awful. Like I have to do everything.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's akin to uh, it's akin to you know I had a JavaScript problem, so I put in jQuery, and then I wanted to do five other things, and so I installed five more jQuery plugins that do <laughs> right. those and things,
0: I, <laughs> and and then I rewrote it in React,
2: and yes, exactly, and then I rewrote it in React, and it uh, even though it was React and not jQuery, it was still seven megabytes smaller. So
0: Yeah, but it's modular and it has asynchronous concurrency. <laughs> All the different parts work together now.
2: Right, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, mom. mom's not in the, the uh, chat room, but in, she's Aww. here in spirit. And I know mom is saying, I don't know what they're talking about. And me neither, mom. <laughs> 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 I think jQuery is a website where you go and you buy really nice clothes.
2: <laughs> one I day it I'm will be chris one day it will be and sean and i will be so much happier i think
1: yeah <laughs> i thought
0: jquery was a place for all the queers named j met.
1: <laughs> oh nice i like the idea that like facebook or jquery or something gets so big that it's like um, demolition man where like every restaurant right. is taco bell yeah <laughs> I was yep. just
0: talking the other day to someone about this and I was blown away that they had not seen Demolition Man. Really?
1: Oh man, I they want don't to know take anything about the three shells. At Taco Bell. <laughs> You're, whoever you were talking to didn't know how to use the three shells. How embarrassing.
0: Yeah, I know. We all laughed.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, what a great film. <laughs> Put it on the list for film frowns. Good films we'll watch.
2: There you go. Perfect. Um,
1: So, so you kind of hinted to it before, and I'm just bouncing around in my notes. Um, You said you've played around with many subdomains. makes it hard to uh, makes it hard to research you when you're playing around right now with Funquail. Um, (laughs) Your hubzilla is gone.
0: Yeah. So a funny thing about that, uh, I've been a huge advocate of Hubzilla for a long time. It's basically like what if you um, – so like what if you took a content management system like you know WordPress or Drupal and then you made that have a baby with Diaspora and then you added Nextcloud on top of it. So like it's like a really hard to market, like kind of crazy product that does everything and I'm really fond of it but i let it kind of just run in the background for too long and it ate up all of my server's storage like just holding on to like random public statuses forever and it was out of date and i couldn't update it and it was just like broken in so many different ways and the whole thing was just like i looked at it and i'm like i don't actually use this this is taking up like 150 gigabytes of things that i don't even
1: care about anymore <laughs> Well, yeah, that was my, my question was like, um, I wondered if you even, I wondered if you even knew like how many <laughs> online versions of Sean do you think you've destroyed while testing so many different things?
0: Oh God. So there's like a running joke, uh, at least in some of the earlier,
1: uh, federated communities where like
0: someone will have like five or six different accounts and you know, people will joke like, well, which one should I mention when I actually want to talk to you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, it is. It is interesting. Like, um, yeah, you get to that sort of I made the the sort of Linux snob joke earlier. Um, uh, Like, uh, but it is interesting when you get to that point where it's like, it's not really worth me trying to explain how Mastodon works to you. So, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, and see, that's like an ongoing challenge for me too because I'm like writing about this stuff and sometimes I'm like, who is my audience actually? Like, who am I writing this for? And I decided I'm like totally okay with mostly just writing it for people that already use this stuff and already like have like 80% of the knowledge for like what the pitfalls and the problems and what the stuff is. Like trying to write this stuff for totally new people that are like completely not familiar with it is like a million times harder. And while I still want to support that, it's just like, Okay, how many times do I have to explain how federation works?
1: Right, right. Yeah, I think a previous guest and friend of ours, uh, Jacob Cook, like, um, I think he kind of had like a similar issue where he started developing ArcOS. like, yeah, and then he was like hoping to make this super user-friendly thing, but the people helping him develop it were all like, like him and super smart and into it, and then it was like. He started building Skylark, an online system, so people didn't have to worry about like their IP address being dynamic and all right, this other stuff. Right, and yeah. and I just don't know that he got the buy-in because it was like, wait, where the people I want to make this for are all using Dropbox? Like they have no idea, <laughs> you know? You right. don't have the hundred grand uh, a day to put up ads like McDonald's and Coca-Cola every five seconds, right? So, <laughs> well,
0: not not even that. Like just having like a good UX designer that's like, actually, this is a crazy kitchen sink of a clutch. Why don't we make it simpler, fellas? Like, that kind of thing does not <laughs> nice. exist for many like open source projects. So, it's definitely an uphill battle sometimes trying to make something that's like for the common person and not just like for power users.
2: Yeah, I think I was I was gonna draw the comparison to because um, we keep going back to the to Linux just overall. I think there's a there's a comparison there where there's there's every flavor of Linux under the sun and if you wanna be technical oh, yeah. and start with a stage one Gentoo install and literally compile everything. Every every single scrap of bit code that's on your computer that runs has been compiled by your machine, you can do that. Um, yeah, I
0: miss wasting. I miss wasting that kind of time.
2: <laughs> right. Should, like, sit down. Right. You should sit down on
0: free BSD and be like, oh, boy, a new release of WebKit. I can't wait to try to build Chrome today. Yes.
2: Like, yes. But if you're, you know, but on the, on the other end of that spectrum and, you know, not that not that it's entirely succeeded in its mission, but you've got Ubuntu and Ubuntu yeah. is kind of like the distribution for the common man that just needs, like, to take this old PC that was sitting in their garage and turn it into a web browser that works, right? Right. So um, it, all of these, those different gradations have to exist, but it took Linux 20 years to get to the point where there was an Ubuntu that you could even reasonably say, yeah, just stick this CD in and it'll be fine. Um yeah. And uh, and it's probably going to take a fairly significant amount of time to get to a point where we feel like uh, these solutions are simple and safe enough where you can be like, uh, you know, oh, geez, I got another CD for this diaspora thing in the mail. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not, not that it's going to become the new AOL or anything, but, you know.
0: Uh, no, no. No, it's just a funny yeah. idea, like installing software off the off of a disk. Yes,
2: exactly. Point. Yeah, that's hilarious. I don't even have anything I can put this in anymore.
1: <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I was gonna say like it's a vocabulary issue too. Like Paul just used the word like common man. Like there really is no such thing as a normal right. person or a common man. So right.
0: Right. it's sort of a convenient shorthand to say like everybody.
2: Right. Yeah. And yeah. And somebody and who Jackie is non-technical, I think, is what I would really right. try to say there. And, and Jackie in the chat room said, like, what
1: one person considers a waste of time can be an investment for another. Absolutely. Like we're all individuals. Right. Yep. So. Absolutely. I mean, that's the that's the interesting thing about. um about uh, Linux is like, yeah, there's like every flavor under the sun. It's like it gets back to that issue that we have with like federated and decentralized networks is like discovery. Like how do I find my Linux flavor? You know, like where's that online quiz on Facebook? Like what
2: Linux version are you? (laughs) Dude, I I totally
1: got Arch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) I think we're – Oh, go
2: ahead. Uh, I I think we're just kind of still in the early days of, like, there are individual pretty good products that solve a lot of these uh, individual niches, like what's your Dropbox replacement and what's your social network replacement and what's your, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z of a cloud service that is centralized. What's your good way to use, what's your way to replace email, for example, uh, rather than using Gmail or just Facebook messaging or something like that. Um, And those in some of those individual solutions exist and work really well in and of themselves. And now we're having a second layer where it's like, okay, now you have a Hubzilla kind of a thing where it's a project that kind of bring, tries to bring everything together and tries to get it working. And then there's going to be yet another abstraction at some point where somebody comes in and says, hey, I have some you know kind of design and user experience chops and we need to turn this into something that you know more non-technical people can set up fairly easily and just know oh yeah I can hit this button and pay five dollars a month and I'll have all of those services set up and they'll work really well and it's going to be yeah. fairly clear how I need to you know federate it with some somebody else's service as well
0: well yeah and that's interesting that you describe it in so many layers uh, I would say like you know we keep coming back to these two subjects but I think like in a lot of ways, the experience of Linux and the experience of like federated technology is like very similar. And I think like one common thread that I definitely see between them is like, I don't know if you've ever tried to get someone to install Linux. You know, if you've ever like been an evangelist, like, when you have that experience, and you're like, oh, this is amazing. I should tell everyone and get them to use it. Like I've tried to get my friends to use Linux before and like almost all of them, save for like a couple of people, have always switched back to Windows or Mac. And I think like it's a very similar case of trying to advocate federated decentralized technology because it's like a lot of people don't understand the value of why you would do it. A lot of it's like complicated and quirky and weird and like, you know, it's like very hard to sort of sell uh, individual values on these kinds of things. You can say like, well, it's better for privacy or like, you know, well, you know, it gives you more freedom in some kind of fundamental way. But it's challenging to, like, actually come up with a value proposition that appeals to common people. I keep saying common people. just just appeals to the, <laughs> the population in general that uh, goes beyond, like, some of the core philosophies that we find to be important.
1: Sure, and we're, we're not doing any favors when we <laughs> adapt that sort of, like, oh, you use yeah, Windows, right? Like, but if, but right. if
0: you want to get more Linux people into the
1: Fedverse, that's easy. You Just say it's like Linux. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting too is why you were saying that and I am uh, apparently I'm not a common person. But uh <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was uh, I was just telling a friend like um he was like he helped me put a solid state drive and extra memory into my MacBook when I first bought it in 2010 and I was talking to him and I was like so I'm still using that MacBook because I can't afford anything else. I upgraded to a desktop, but I'm still using this stupid thing. And uh he's like, "You're kidding me." And I was like, "But I had to put Linux on it because that's the only way I'm going to get security updates." <laughs> like and <laughs> yeah. and he was like, "Oh, really?" And he's like, "How's it going?" And I was like, "I love Linux as a daily driver, and I'll tell you why." I said you know like when you're in the middle of editing a photo or something in Photoshop and like Adobe crashes and then like a box pops up in Mac or in mm-hmm. Windows and it's like oh this program has quit unexpectedly. I was like when you do something in Linux you have to typically do it in the terminal and when something doesn't work term- <laughs> terminal says it tells you what the error is it's like oh dude you need to dis- you need to oh. install these four dependencies and I was like why can't the other os's do that <laughs> right no it's like it's completely obscured from
0: from your ability to observe it at least when something crashes in linux like you said just like oh right i don't have this imaging library that's why GIMP is suddenly acting weird right like yeah <laughs> it's kind of amazing and i wish i wish it was sort of an easier approach like trying to report bugs uh, you know, I work at a company that's entirely built around having tools to make it easier for people to report bugs and mm-hmm. figure out when failures are happening in software. And it's like kind of amazing that, like, you need all these extra tools just to get that information out. Otherwise, it just lives in some log file somewhere that most people can't access.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, bugs Bugs are interesting, too, because, like, you, you know, i I've, I don't know enough. So sometimes I'll try something out and I'll like share my experience on GitHub and be like, Oh, this is what happened to me. And people are like, yeah, that's not a bug. And I'm like, okay, sorry, 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 <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. I didn't know that that's what was supposed to happen. I'm sorry. But like, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I know you have to like, you definitely have to have like a, a system, which is exactly why you work where you work. But it's it's interesting. <laughs> like one man's bug is another man's feature. Feature <laughs> flurking. <laughs> yeah, that's Be not awesome. a bug. That
0: that's our crash application feature. You just hit it accidentally. <laughs>
1: I have to say I loved your description of Hubzilla because I actually had, like, a question mark next to it in my notes because every time I went and looked at yours or others, I was like, I don't quite understand what this is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a social network. Well, not exactly. Hmm, it's a group <laughs> messaging platform. Well, oh, it has, like, calendars and shit. Uh, well, hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel I feel similarly, similarly. high words. I feel similarly, I'm going to say it again, look at that, uh, about Social Home. Like, I think it looks cool, I think it's really neat, and I'm trying to figure out how I would use it, and I guess maybe I wouldn't, so I haven't played with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've been trying to review it, and I think it's a really interesting and promising thing. Uh, I'm not, like, a big fan of, like, Pinterest-style grid applications, but I'm sure someone out there really likes them, and Jason's, like, a really nice guy, the guy behind the project um so you know i I, whatever like i'm more than happy to see that as a part of the fediverse too and he's trying to build it and he's working on making it connect to mastodon and other services so that's like all really good stuff
1: so you kind of hinted on it like you you got sort of do you think like your involvement with smaller communities and forums is kind of how you got into sort of decentralization
0: I mean, that was kind of a stretch, but it definitely got me into online communities,
1: like especially like
0: kind of niche ones that are focused on like topics that people feel extremely passionate about. Like game development was a really fun one because you have all these people trying to like, you know, d- design little dreams that they've had. And like they take different like academic approaches to like coding things and making puzzles and doing art and animation. Like it's a multidisciplinary kind of community. And so like a lot of people end up having like really interesting approaches and opinions on how to do that stuff i think like uh in a lot of ways the online linux community uh sort of mirrors that maybe not exactly in terms of what's being made but the many approaches many opinions and uh, a, a niche community elements are all things that have like been become very attractive to me especially as i've like also grown very passionate about those kind of domain subjects
2: what were uh, what were some of your early communities that you uh, that you liked being a part of?
0: Yeah, so uh, Adventure Game Studio uh, that's one of my favorite uh, web communities. Um, also, um, there were a lot of people that liked to do remakes of of uh, commercial games. So that's kind of an interesting thing. People would like basically volunteers would uh, get together on the internet. And a lot of them uh, were doing this in an age where there weren't, like, publicly accessible tools for source code management. So people were, like, using, like, private sections of forums to, like, upload links to, like, files that they were working on. And so people would, like, upload (laughs) sprites and stuff. And someone would download them and put them into an editor. And, like, it was just a very messy process. But that was just how people built things in those kind of communities back then. And so people, like, ended up making, like, faithful recreations of things like... Uh, old EGA DOS games in the early 90s. So some people were, like, crazy about that kind of genre. And they're like, hey, somebody's remaking Quest for Glory, and it's in VGA, like the later Sierra games. And people lost their minds at that. They're like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Someone would release a screenshot of, like, the latest development build, and people would be like, oh, my God. (laughs) This is the sweet manna from heaven that I've wanted all along.
1: It was just a really,
0: really cool community. And I think like that kind of like coming together to build something and make something together and give it to the world is one of the coolest things that you can do on the internet.
2: Yeah. One of one of mine was uh so in uh in high school I was very into the uh the various graphing calculators that were used by students in math class. And uh, one of the communities that I followed online was uh, TICALC.org, which was literally a community based around how to hack these these devices to get them to run, you know, basically the assembler. Because the chips that were in them were either the Z80 or the 68K chip. Um, And if you could, like, if you could build... Using their assembly language, then you could write basically games for these uh, devices that were actually fun and interactive and, and interesting to play, as opposed to the games that you could build in, you know, t the calculators built in programming basic language where it's like, oh, yeah, this is it's I the- could I can make Zork in this, but I can't really make like, you know, uh, something that looks like Wolfenstein 3D. But then you'd go on to TICalc.org and it would be like, yeah download this image and you'll be playing Wolfenstein on your TI-82 in math class. And that was That's like, it was, it was crazy. They would find hacks. Basically they were hacking the, um, you know, the built-in software and trying to find, uh, ways that you could get the, get the program loader, trick the program loader into actually running full on machine code. And it was, it was really fun and interesting.
0: Man. That's that's so incredible, Uh, the idea that you could take, like, a seemingly simplistic device and be able to, like, make fully playable games on them. I mean, heck, you know, it it seems like a stretch, like, trying to do that with just basic. You know, it's like, great, I can make a killer grocery cart list application. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) Right. But, like... To, like, have, like, a full runtime with, like, voxel rendering, uh, pretending to make 3D as you run down corridors and gun down demons. <laughs> That's incredible.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, uh, so the TI-92 was the calculator I had, which was the giant beast that actually had a QWERTY, QWERTY keyboard as part of the calculator. And it had a 68K chip in it, which is the same chip that the original Apple uh, two. was. I th- No, not the Apple II. The, uh, the original Macintosh ran on. Um, wow. So it's, you know, for a calculator, it's vastly overpowered. Um, I can see why they were
0: banned in a lot of classes during, like, tests and
2: stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, the TI-92 had a function on it that was just called solve. And <laughs> <laughs> so you could type in, like, solve x squared equals, and, you know, your whole formula. And it would be like, oh, yeah, x is 4. Yeah, uh, and the, the, you can see the how the that's says, a bit of a show cheat. show your work. <laughs> yeah. 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 The professor says show your work. So you do a YouTube video showing you typing in solve into the TI92. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, anyway, the, that was that was one of my early ones and you'd mentioned GeoCities before and that was certainly the very first website that I ever posted was a GeoCities website.
0: Yeah. I was a little sad in the sense that uh, I used to have, like, a
2: freewebs.com
0: account. That was, like, my first taste of, like, <laughs> having a personal website. And I'm really sad to say that that small embarrassment does not exist on the internet anymore. Uh, like, you can't find it in archive.org or anything. But it was, like, basically, like, com, And immediately in giant blocky letters it says, Sean Tilly, such a cool dude. I, like, wrote it when I was, like, 14 or something. And I'm, like, I, lo- I looked at it. Uh, when it was still running some time ago, I'm like, oh my god, this is so embarrassing. I used to send this to girls on MySpace, what the hell?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I can't remember, I used a couple different free services because, you know, those that was the boom and bust days where it was just like, hey, like, you can get online for free using net zero, you know, and then everything I, crashed, so then all the sites, free sites went with it, but I used to have, like, I had my site was always, like, uh, desktop liberation dot whatever the free site was. And, like, I used to, .gk. like, I used to make, like, image desktop, like, uh, images for people, like, that were um, not artistic in any way, but were just, like, computer jokes. Like, I kept making, like, uh, welcome to Internet Explorer, you know, for Swiss cheese, like, because <laughs> it was such <laughs> yeah. a bad browser and everyone hated it and i had all these silly jokes that i was making into you know you'd want to put that on your desktop at 640 by 480 because it looked hot (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah forums forums are good i i miss forums because of like what we're talking about is that they were specific to a subject and and that's what i kind of really always try to push when i'm pushing like mastodon to people is like you can make a mastodon instant that is all about like gardening and i can also connect with my buddy sean who knows a lot about computers and nothing about gardening that's really cool to me like that you can connect in that way yeah i think that early
0: an early metaphor that i sort of been Sort of thought about as far as like what this thing is as far as like all these federated instances connecting to each other It's kind of like what if you took every forum on the internet and you somehow, you know, like Fidonet Made them able to talk to each other as if they were one super network of a community
1: Yeah, I I like that there's like a separate space which um Which is nice because you don't get like overwhelmed, right? Like if I'm in my local timeline, like I get to see the stuff about gardening, the example I use, right? Like I'm not getting overwhelmed like when you go to a centralized service like Facebook or Twitter where you're like, oh, I haven't talked to Sean in a while. I want to see what he's doing. And instead I get 650 memes about how, you know, we're going to murder someone because they said America smells like, you know, Uh that That's not exactly what I signed up for, <laughs>
0: yeah no, it it kind of blows my mind in the sense that like you use something like Twitter or Facebook. Twitter in some ways is worse. Uh, the way that like content is just sort of jammed up in your feed that you're not even like it, it comes from people you're not even really following. Uh, Twitter does it in such a way that it'll like actually creep into your your notifications and say, like, hey, your buddy's sister's friend's dad just posted a cool picture. <laughs> it's like, I don't even care about that. why is that happening? But Facebook does it too in the sense that it'll promote content that is ostensibly from nowhere that you were ever connected to, and it's just like some algorithm telling you you should look at it,
1: yeah, yeah, I feel like I just figured out the other day like um on my uh on our our film frown like Twitter account, like it was up in my like you know list, and I was like. How come that's not a retweet? And I was like, I swear, like maybe Paul did it, but uh, I swear I've never followed Chrissy Teigen. (laughs) Like, thanks, Twitter. You're like, you should follow celebrities because that's what we like get people to see. Right.
0: Right. Big names and concentration of attention. Just lovely.
2: Hey, it's Paul your favorite podcaster. Uh I, sorry, we uh haven't been online in a while. Um and uh we had some shows that were in the can from oh this was almost exactly a year ago. Uh so I decided uh to sit down while I'm in quarantine uh and uh you know, get some stuff edited. So here you go. Uh here was part one of our episode with Sean Tilly. Uh super super excited to get uh, Episode two edited and out the door. Uh in the meantime, I'm at Paul D. Uh my buddy Chris is uh at Sick Days, S I K K D A Y S. And uh I'm sure Sean's online too. And if you want to find him, you should check out the show notes at Montrealsauce.com where we've got links to uh, you know, the different social media presences that we all have and you just heard about. Uh yeah. That's it. Uh, Happy 2020. Uh, I hope while you're hanging out, uh, probably socially distancing yourself, uh, that this episode of Montreal Sauce was both a surprise and a delight. Uh, We're going to try to get some more out the door on a more regular basis. I've got um, at least six more episodes worth in the can, ready to be edited. And uh, Chris and I are working on setting up some new Either Montreal Sauce or Film Frown coming up soon. So uh, we'll talk to you or we'll be talking at you pretty soon. Bye.